Um, this morning, uh, I want to I jump into, as Pastor Jeff talked about, a brand new series on the parables of Jesus. But before I do that, I've got to ask anybody in the house love donuts? You guys donut fans? Okay, all right. So I confess I'm kind of a donut uh, a fan as well. I love donuts, which is weird for me because I don't actually like a whole lot of sweet things. Call me crazy. I don't like ice cream, all right? It just is. And I think people who eat ice cream in February are really weird. Don't trust them. Yeah, over there. I was just, I'm kidding. Um, and, but I, I don't like sweet things. I'm not like a huge, but like somehow donuts just get me. Uh, literally this week, my dad and I went for a grocery run, and on the way home, we polished off an entire box of donuts before Christine found, about, found out about it in the morning. I didn't even tell her about it. So I <laughs> love donuts. So I was really excited. Uh, a few years ago, I was, I was a, a high school pastor at a different church uh, before I came here, and uh, some of my students showed up early at a youth group with a humongous box of donuts for me. I was like flattered. There was a very, there was like a very popular donut shop in town, and uh, they showed up with, and they even handed me the very first one, and it was huge, and it was just, it looked so good, and I took this enormous bite into this donut, and it was right into the middle of that bite when two powerful realizations hit me about at the same time. Uh, number one, this was unlike any donut I've ever had in my life, uh, and number two, they all had their phones out videoing me. The third realization happened later that it was April Fool's Day because I just bit into a ginormous mayonnaise-filled donut. They're like, how's it taste? I was like, um, hmm. Because I didn't know it was mayonnaise at the time. I was like, ah, I didn't want to be rude. I was like, how do I answer this without letting you down? Very awkward. And it was a jarring experience. I will say that. It was, it was definitely a jarring experience because I thought I was going to bite into a delicious cream-filled donut Turns out to be mayonnaise, and my expectation was absolutely crushed. I didn't like it at all. Here's the thing. This morning, we're going to jump into a parable in Matthew 22, uh, which is going to kick off our series of parables that come from Jesus. Jesus told these stories that essentially the idea was, you think about the kingdom of God this way, you think about the kingdom of heaven this way, but, but let me like, take some of the furniture in your brain and rearrange it a little bit to help you see it from a different perspective, uh, maybe a more accurate perspective. You've been missing out on part of what this is about. Let me help you to understand it a little bit better. And so Jesus would tell parables to unlock our understanding a little bit more. But the truth of the matter is that I really believe this, the rest of this series, if you're pre-existing expectation coming into this series is that you are going to be the ruler and the Lord of your life, that, that your life is going to be about you, you probably won't like this series a whole lot. I'm just going to give you a free pass right now. You probably won't like it. Um, it might even be a jarring experience, the way that Jesus talks about what the kingdom of God is like, if you think it's about you. That being said, on the other hand, if you come into this series with a pre-existing expectation that this kingdom of God is about him, this life that I live is just somehow it fits within the kingdom of God, it's, it's really about fitting into the bigger picture, then I actually think that there's going to be a very freeing message that you begin to experience, that this life is not about you, that the, that the kingdom of God is much bigger than you and is actually a really good thing to be a part of 
of it and to submit my will to, to God. And I actually think it might be freeing in this sense. You ever heard the phrase, heavy is the head that wears the crown? You don't have to. You don't have to wear the crown. You, you don't have to be the final authority when everything goes wrong, when, when things happen to you that you don't know how to handle. You don't actually have to be the one who keeps everything under control. This actually may be a very freeing group of messages for you to experience. So we're going to jump right into a, a passage in Scripture in Matthew chapter 22 that I'm pretty sure you don't hear very, preach very often. And even if you had attempted to go through this in your devotions, you might have skipped right past it because of some of the um, things on the surface that it seems to say about God or maybe even people you love. Uh, this is a particular passage that feels very inconvenient. feels inconvenient to deal with because it, it raises a lot of things like the intricate theological tension between God's sovereignty and human responsibility for their free will. Uh, it, it, it talks about why do some people get into heaven and some people don't. It talks about human depravity and the justice of God and eternal damnation. And, and it really, it talks about the apparent scandal of the grace of God that is given freely to some people who don't deserve it and apparently withheld from other people from, who, from a human perspective, seem to deserve it very much so. And so this particular passage makes theologians and scholars feel weak at their knees. It's, uh, as Pastor Jeff said, one of the more difficult parables that Jesus has ever told to deal with. Um, and uh, it, it makes people feel a little bit uneasy. So, awesome. I'm going to start this series with the worst parable ever. No, but for real, um, what we're going to look at is, is a trilogy of parables. This, this, this parable, Matthew chapter 22, is actually the third in a trilogy of parables. It's kind of like Return of the Jedi in Star Wars, right? And it's, um, it's the third that are all about the authority of God in present day experience. Like how do you live under the rule and the reign of God? How do you take your life and put it underneath this thing called the kingdom of God? Of God. In fact, Jesus is actually going to start this parable off with the phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like, which is, uh, which is the Greek phrase when Jesus says it, it's, it's, the, it's the words, hey basileia ton uranon, which is, um, if you, it's more like uh, the kingdom of heaven is like, it's like the ruler, rulership and the reign of God is like this. The, the authority in the present day lived experience is like this. This is what God's authority is like. So um, it's not actually answering the question, how do I get to heaven when I die? Not like, oh, heaven someday is going to be like. When he says the kingdom of heaven is like this, he's really answering the question, what's it like to, to live every day under the rule and the reign of God, like in my current day experience? And so uh, Jesus tells this story, Matthew chapter 22, I'm going to start in verse 1. He spoke to them in parables again, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. And he sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused. So um, the, the idea here is that there's a group of people who had already been invited. Right? They were already invited to this wedding banquet. 
They said, yeah, I'm going to be there. They RSVP'd. There was a place set for them. They had their nice little name tag and, and their guest party. And like all, everything was set up. <clears throat> Excuse me. And now weeks and months later, the king sends out a final notice. He says to his servants, go out. Everybody who RSVP'd, who said they're going to be here, go and tell them it's finally time to come. It's time to come to the banquet, come to the table, enjoy the celebration that I'm throwing for my son. So the story picks up again in verse 4. At the end of verse 3, actually, they refused to come. They refused to come. So he sent some more servants and told them, Tell those who've been invited that I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatted calf have been butchered. Everything's ready. Come to the wedding banquet. In other words, this is an amazing feast. I've prepared blessings and an abundant overflow of good things at this wedding banquet. People, I don't get why people aren't wanting to come. Like literally, go out, go out. Just bring them in. Compel them to come to this wedding banquet. It is abundant with blessings. I've prepared all the best things. Go get the people. But they paid no attention. And they went off. One to his field, which was apparently more important than the king's wedding banquet. One to his business, which was apparently more important than the king's wedding banquet. Verse 6, the rest of them seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. And the king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. This is why scholars get weak at their knees, because this is how the scene is set up. The king is God. He sends his servants out to those people who were reportedly the people of God. They belonged to God. They belonged in the wedding party. Servants go out. And they're ignored. More servants go out, and they're ignored for very specific things. Things that they can see every day. Their, their crops, their field, their business. And, and then more servants go out, and they're killed. And so the king, obviously enraged, takes his whole army and goes to those people and burns their city down. Now, this is... Uh, a historically significant reference point for Jesus because what happens is um, these, these religious Jews that Jesus is speaking to have had this invitation available to them for centuries. That, that, the, that the good news of the kingdom of God has been proclaimed and frankly, they were the ones through whom it was supposed to be proclaimed. And, and the, the, the good news is sent out They've been invited. They've RSVP'd. They said, yeah, I want to be part of the people of God. But then the prophets were sent to them. And the priests were sent to them. And even some of the kings were pointing people to, and, and then they were rejected and they were killed. And, and eventually that, they would even kill the king's own son. Why would they do that? Because he was, he was sent them to tell, he was sent to tell them that there was now a, a new way of being the people of God. A message they didn't want to hear. Right, there, there, there's this new way of being a people of God. You've been exposed to the message of the gospel for centuries. You've been having this invitation sent to you for years and years and years and years. And, and no longer 
Is it only for you? This, this old system of bringing you into a covenant relationship with God is great, but you rejected it. You spurned it. And so now God is saying, I'm, I'm going to open up a whole new way for all people to come in. I, I'm, I'm going to create this path in the road that is diverging from the path that now you're used, you've been used to. There's a new way of being the people of God, and it's a much wider way because now not only are you invited, but everybody's invited. And they didn't like that, and so they eventually, a number of years later, would like, murder Jesus for proclaiming this message. And then, about 40 years after he died and rose again and ascended to heaven, about 40 years later, what happened is the empire of Rome came in and destroyed Jerusalem and the temple and the entire religious system situated in the center of the heart of what they thought it meant to be the people of God. General Titus came in in AD 70 and burned Jerusalem to the ground. Don't miss this. Jesus is saying that if you reject the sun, if you reject the climax to your own story, there's going to be this historical moment of judgment in which the whole world sees that God is now opening up a new way to be the people of God, a way that is available to everybody. And if, and if you reject this, this is who you are in this story. In other words, if you think it's your devotion, your, your holy schedule, if you think it's this list of accomplishments or boxes that you check that, that help you to think that you're on God's team, if you think that that's going to be good enough to get you into the kingdom, you're mistaken. It's not your religious pedigree or your spiritual trophy case that matters when it comes to this king. It's, it's embracing the sun. It's celebrating at the banquet of the sun. It's showing up to this banquet that really is the thing. It's not whether or not you said, yeah, I'm going to be there. It's not just that you're, you're holy, um, you know, devotion that you're like, man, I, I, I want to prove that I'm the people of God. I'm just going to RSVP. I want this to be a one-time moment. I want, I want this, like, this visible thing to happen, but I'm not actually going to show up. I'm not actually going to bring myself into this thing called the wedding banquet of the king. I'm not going to bring myself to the kingdom of God. I'm just, I'm going to give it lip service. So it's not only when you RSVP to the invitation that Jesus is saying, but it's actually when you show up. It's not only when you raise your hand when you heard the gospel. It's, it's do you now live and submit your life under the authority of the king? It, it's not only um, when, when you show up to church on a Sunday morning, but when you go out and be the church Monday to Saturday. It's not only when you get up and, and you read your Bible and maybe even post about it on Instagram, right? It's when you actually go out and live what this book says. It's, it's not, what Jesus is saying it, is that it's not that you heard the invitation and said you were going to be there. It's actually showing up and submitting to the king and celebrating the son. And so, and so he goes on, he says, once the city is destroyed, he says to his servants, all right, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited didn't deserve to come. 
The people who found themselves in a situated religious system that was about what they did and, and how they could measure that against other people, but not actually live out the things that God actually cared about, these people were not worthy to come. So he said to his servants, go to the street corners, invite to the banquet anyone you find, both the bad and the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. Jesus is saying here um, that you religious people, you think all these people are, are out. You think they don't belong in the kingdom of God. You think because they're bad and they don't, they don't look like you, that, that all these people that you've been holding at an arm's length, keeping from the presence of God for centuries, you think all these people don't look like you are out because they don't measure up in the same way that you do, right? You, you think, man, how could you be a Christian if? I've heard this before. In fact, I preached this, and someone sent me a letter that said, how could you be a Christian? I was like, that's the point. How could you be a Christian if, right? Like, Jesus is speaking to religious people who look at others and go, I know how they voted. He's looking, looking at others and so I know what they let their kids watch. I know where they go or what they do on weekends. I, I know the kind of words they use in Facebook comments or the trends that they follow on TikTok. I, I know that they've lived a bad life compared to me. Jesus is saying, here's what the kingdom of God looks like. Go out into the streets, into the corners, and find everybody, both bad and good. All the people who don't live up to your impossible opinions, I want all of those people invited to the party because everybody is invited to this. And, and I love this. This is beautiful. You're like, oh, the mercy and the glory of the king. How generous that he would take anybody, no matter what they've done, no matter what their past looks like, and, and would invite them into this banquet and say, there is forgiveness available at this banquet. There is abundant blessing available. There is joy. There is peace available. And all of that is true, and I think this would be an amazingly heartwarming story that might make the Hallmark Channel if it stopped right there. But it doesn't. When the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who is not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked. <laughs> Have you ever been stopped by someone in church and they're like, friend? And you're like, oh, this isn't going to be good. Friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. And I think he was speechless not because he couldn't come up with an excuse, not because he didn't know what to say, but because the answer was already understood by both of them. He was speechless because there wasn't really anything to say. This question was not actually interrogative, it was rhetorical. It was asked to make a point. What do I mean? See, in this culture, it was actually customary for a king to provide festive attire, wedding garments, any time that he would invite somebody to his banquet. And so, uh, as they were coming in, they would receive the wedding garment on the way into the banquet. And so when this man is sitting here with, without wedding garments on, without wedding clothes on, and he's, he's sitting at the banquet without wedding clothes on, 
It's not because it's not because he wasn't able to find one or he couldn't afford one. Rather, it actually indicates his refusal of the king's provisions on his way in to the king's banquet. In other words, yeah, I, of course I want to show up here. I saw the cities burning. I wanted to avoid that. Of course I come to the wedding. There's really good stuff available to those who are at the I wanted to do that, but as far as bringing myself under and identifying with this kingdom, no thanks, I don't need your wedding garments. I like mine just fine. So what does the king do? Verse 13, the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot, throw him outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why? For many are invited and few are chosen. And this is where theologians tend to get weak at their knees. This is why scholars don't like handling this. Because what we do is we like to project onto God this image of this like kind old grandfather in the sky who's here to bail us out whenever we're in trouble and is just so happy that he spent five minutes with me. Oh, I just feel so good for the rest of eternity that this really busy human could find time somewhere in their super important schedule to spend with me, the creator of everything. But we don't actually like to project onto God complete rulership and authority. Why? I think it's because we like to keep that part for ourselves. This parable challenges the very foundations of our pride in our self-worship. With this brilliant parable of a loving and generous God whose invitation is rejected. Like, don't forget that, right? Three times, the king says, come to the banquet. Twice, he says it to the people who have had the invitation for centuries. I've prepared Joy, I've prepared salvation, I've prepared forgiveness, I've prepared freedom, I've prepared abundance, I've prepared provision, I'll protect you, I'll be with you, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, I'll be your God, I'll go before you, I'll go behind you, come to my banquet, I've prepared blessings for you. And three times he sends out this amazingly bountiful, blessing-filled uh, invitation and that invitation is rejected. The natural consequence of which is a life devoid of these graces that God is offering. Right? Like, see, God's not going to force you to accept his grace. God will not force you to receive the abundant grace which he is providing. But to refuse God's grace is by default to Choose the opposite. You can't miss this. You can't miss this. God's not going to make you refu- uh, uh, receive his forgiveness. He won't. But to refuse God's forgiveness is saying, I'm going to choose to pay the consequences myself. I think I can pay an eternal consequence on my own. Because none of us are none of us are perfect. All of us have sinned. All of us have offended an infinitely holy God. 
the just consequence of which is an infinitely holy punishment. That's not going to force you to receive his forgiveness, but when you refuse his forgiveness, you're choosing to pay that on your own. God's not going to force you to receive his generosity, but when you refuse his generosity, you're choosing by default to live in scarcity, always trying to make up means on your own. God's not going to force you to receive his truth, but when you refuse God's truth, you're choosing by default to wander in aimless confusion. God's not going to force you to receive his joy, but when you refuse his joy, you're choosing the opposite, which is hopelessness and despair and anxiety over and over and over again. God's not going to force you to receive his light. The king's not forcing this man to receive his light, but his refusal by default is to choose the opposite. He's choosing to live in darkness. You could tell me, hey, Pastor Brandt, I don't want the lights on. Fine, it'll be dark. And here, here's the liberating truth with that. Because that kind of comes across and you're like, oh man, you're kind of coming down pretty hard there, king. The liberating truth is this, that when you bow to the king, when you come under his authority, when you submit to him and say, no, 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 actually your way does work. Your way does actually bring freedom. Your way does actually bring light and joy and peace. When you bow to the king, you actually receive every good thing. You receive everything that he's, he's offering. That's how you receive it. When you bow to the king, you receive every good thing. Like, you can't miss this. This is huge. God is the giver of all good things. Everything that you can imagine on planet earth would not be here apart from a divine hand making it possible for you. And so there are people all across this globe every single day who do not profess a faith in Jesus but experience the good grace of God. This is a theological term known as common grace, which basically says that God is the giver of all good things. Every person of all time has good things available to them regardless of their personal belief. This is so loving of God. This is amazingly loving of God. We're, giving, we're given all of these beautiful things. We're given music. We're given friendship. We're given sex. We're given food. We're given joy. We're given the ability to laugh. Do you realize that there are things that you just take for granted that are just the absolute goodness of God in your life? that have been available to you for your whole life. This is, this is God's common grace. And, and then I'm not even talking about the things that God gives to believers, people who are found in Christ and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, sealed for glory, the abundant blessings of which are infinitely greater. Like God is good. He's good. He's very good. So it's not God who's hell-bent on sending this man into Outer darkness, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Please don't miss this. He's not hell-bent on punishing this man who refused the abundant blessings available to him. It's the man who said to the source of all light, I don't want you. I don't want to do it your way. You can keep your wedding garments. I don't want what you're offering. I don't want these wedding garments, this, this, this righteousness of Christ that I have to put on before I'm available, uh, able to 
be admitted into the wedding banquet. I, I, you can keep it. You can have it. I, I don't want it. To which the king says, so be it. Have it your way. It's not an egomaniacal thing. To not force your goodness on somebody. It's not a warmongering monster who says to people who refuse him, No, I'm going to force you to receive all good things from me. I think we, in our culture, we hear this picture painted about God who sends people to hell. How could a loving God send people to hell? The better question should be, how could a holy God ever extend grace to anybody? Not a single one here deserves that. But a loving God has extended his invitation even till today to everybody who hears that there is an abundant blessing available to anybody who puts on the king's wedding garments, who puts on the righteousness of Christ. Here's the truth. Here's the truth. When this man refuses the source of light, the source of joy, the source of comfort, he's choosing by default to live in a world that is devoid of those things. Right? He's choosing the opposite of light darkness. He's choosing the opposite of joy, weeping. He's choosing the opposite of comfort. When you say to the king, I don't want it your way. I don't want to identify. I don't want to be associated with you. I just want your stuff, but I don't want to be known, by you, be known as yours. You're saying, I don't want to be connected to the source of light. And the same is true for each one of us sitting here today. That when we attempt to name the name of Jesus and live as if we're still kings and queens of our own existence, we are, we are by default, rejecting the authority and the rulership of the king who is inviting you to his banquet. That's what we're doing, what we're doing. And according to the language of Jesus in this parable, that's not just a passive rejection Please don't miss this. We're saying to the king, great, thanks for inviting me to your banquet. I I love that I was your first draft pick because I'm in such high demand. You know what I'll do, God? I'll just try to fit this into my schedule where I can. I'll try to make it work, but it's going to be on my own terms because I'm still the one in charge of my own life. And so I'm going to show up to your banquet, but I'm just going to warn you ahead of time, I might leave early. I might jump out early because I don't want anybody to rope me into anything. I don't have time for any commitments to this kingdom I can't fit them into my life because I've already got an entire kingdom of self to keep running. So you can just keep your garments. I'm here just to make an appearance. This isn't really my kingdom. Keep your wedding garments. I like mine just fine. That's what we're saying when we reject the rulership and the authority of God in our lives. And according to the language of Jesus in this parable, like I said, it's not a passive refusal. This is an act of war. 
It's an act of setting up one kingdom, his, against another kingdom, or at least opposed from another kingdom, God's, the king's. This isn't just a polite refusal. It's not just a disagree, agree to disagree thing. understate the significance of this. This is satanic. If you remember Isaiah 14, Satan in the throne room of heaven at the time was named Lucifer, and he said in his heart, I will be like the Most High, and and led a coup to overthrow God from his throne, saying, that's my throne to sit on. And what happens is God ejects Satan from heaven doomed for an eternity in outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. To set up your kingdom, not under the rule and reign of Jesus, but as opposed to the rule and reign of Jesus, is the very same thing. To think you can just make a Christian appearance here and there and not actually come under the rule and the reign of Jesus, submit your entire self to the authority and the rulership of the king, and still experience all the benefits of the wedding banquet is a satanic deception to the core. I'm going to say that again for the people in the back, right? To think you can, I'm not speaking specifically to you, that was a phrase. To think you can just make a Christian appearance here and there and not actually submit your entire self to the authority and the rulership of everything God says and still think you're going to experience the Blessings of the wedding banquet is a satanic deception to the core. You've got to be very careful. The kingdom that you're living for. Because when you say to God, I don't want to live under you anymore. I don't want to do it your way. The natural alternative is that you are choosing darkness. It's very easy, I think, to look at these verses and think, wow, God is so mean. He's such a crazy monster. He's a megalomaniac. But you can't miss how this entire story is set up, verses 1 to 5. You can't miss this. It's the entire narrative is set in the context of the goodness and the grace and the invitation of a king who wants you to experience blessings. Verses 1 to 5, the whole story is set in the grace of God as he invited everybody, the good and the bad, you and the person next to you, interpret that how you want, to, to this banquet of good and blessing and joy and comfort and peace and, and, and forgiveness and security and hope and confidence. Like the king is inviting all to experience every good thing he has to offer. You've been, you've been experiencing the free trial of the common grace of God. You've been experiencing the nice blessings that are available to anybody just for signing up to live on planet Earth. But God is saying, I want to invite you to the full subscription, right? Everything is available. It's abundant. It's a, the blessings are overflowing. Come and eat. And everybody who comes and eats gets to experience the kingdom. But you only get this when you come under the rulership in the reign of God. Let me just say, chocolate is a common grace of God. Amen? Yeah. 
God is good. God is good. God is good. Amen? And you and I would all agree with that on the surface. You would agree with the statement, God is good. But here's the irony, that this particular parable, Jesus was speaking to very religious people. I mean, just look at the the verses ahead of this. The end of chapter 21, leading into this parable, verse 45, Jesus uh, is speaking to the chief priests. He's speaking to the Pharisees. He's speaking to disciples. He's speaking to a large crowd. But when the chief priests and the Pharisees, like the super religious people, when they heard this, they knew he was talking about them. Directly following this parable, look at this, verse 15. The Pharisees went out and they laid plans to trap him in his words. This parable was not told to convince skeptics that God is benevolent. This parable was told to convince self-absorbed religious people that God is against their pride. But that laying down your pride and humbling yourself under the authority of the king and submitting to him and coming and celebrating his son is so very, very good for you. Because when you bow to the king, that's when you get every good thing. When you bow to the king, you get every good thing. It's saying to people who are following Jesus with their life, okay, great, are, are you actually following him every day? You said, yeah, I want to be on Jesus' team. I see you wearing a cross necklace. I see that verse, Bible verse in your Instagram bio. I see that verse of the day that you shared a few weeks ago. You say you follow Jesus. Is he showing up in everyday life? It's saying to people who raise their hand to say, yeah, I want a free pass out of hell, so, so I'll go with Jesus. I'll, I'll show up to the party. Okay, great. Have you actually shown up? It's saying to people who raise their hand or who walked an aisle, are you actually living for Jesus? It's, it's saying This parable, he's speaking to people who got baptized. Like, are you actually submitting to Jesus every day? He's people, man, he's speaking to people maybe who even got got their membership at a particular church. Have you actually made the lifestyle switch? You didn't just do the New Year's resolution diet until the middle of January. No, no. You changed your entire lifestyle that Jesus is everything about your life. He's saying to people who claim religiosity that none of these actions actually save you. It's what's happening inside of your heart. Is your heart submitted to the king? Have you actually shown up? Are you, are you following Jesus in the everyday lived experience of your life and doing things his way? And here's the crazy thing about this story. There are people who say they're going to show up to the party, and there are even people who walk up to the party that don't get into the party. Why? Because they're so obsessed with their own kingdoms with their own schedules, and with their own way. That's what's scary about this parable. You can say to God a million times, I'm going to be there, I'm going to be there, I'm going to be there. The question is, are you actually showing up? The key is, are you actually following Jesus and living your life his way? See, here's, here's, there's two ways to approach this. There's two ways to approach this invitation. 
The first is, ask yourself this question. Does God's kingdom, does God's way, does God's glory actually get you excited? Right? Are you excited and really happy when God is glorified at your expense? Are, are you really happy when God wins, when God's church wins, but you don't seem to? Are you content to live your life in such a way that everybody notices Jesus at the end of your life and never seems to notice you? Are you hoping God's people thrive even if it feels like you're being persecuted? Or, here's the other way to think about it, is this just a religious system? Is showing up on Sunday morning just a box to check? Singing the songs that we just sang, something you do just because the people around you were. Do you, do you give money to God's kingdom and to God's church because you would feel guilty if you didn't? Do you volunteer for a ministry because you want to say no, but you just don't know how to? So you just show up begrudgingly. Do you bring your kids to youth group because you want the youth pastor to fix them or, or maybe even because you want other people to look at your Instagram feed and go, wow, they bring their kids to church. Like, there's two ways of approaching this thing called faith. Two ways of approaching God's kingdom. I'll have to be honest. There's two different types of phone calls that I often receive as a youth pastor. There's two different approaches to calling the youth pastor at this church, apparently. The first approach makes me feel awful. And just being a little candid here, it's one of those moments where you have to go, man, I'm just, Lord, this is, you're in charge, you're good, I'm going to give my emotions to you because I feel like so terrible right now. And the phone call generally goes something like this. Here are all my expectations of you as a youth pastor, and based on my kid's behavior or based on your behavior, you've clearly let me down. You're the worst. And I honestly, I do. I feel really, really bad after those phone calls because I don't try to be that. There are other phone calls I receive as a youth pastor that make me feel amazing. Like, hey, you'll never believe this. My kid is reading their Bible on their own. Like, here's a picture. This is amazing. Or like, wow, my kid is, is bringing their friends to church. Or like, my kid is going out on a mission trip with you and they got to share the gospel with somebody. Or like, my kid finally found freedom from this addiction. Or my kid got bailed out of jail. You were there the whole time. And now they're, they're like, turned their life around. And like, thank you so much. And like, I, I receive phone calls like that. And they go, God is good. And I'm so excited. And there's two different approaches to the same thing. And, and the same is true when it comes to the kingdom of God. There's two different approaches. The, the reality is that when God invites you into his kingdom, into his rule and his reign in your life, you have to check your approach to see if you are actually excited about being with him and celebrating him and doing things his way, or are you just following him to get his stuff? That, that's where this parable is cutting straight to the heart. Here's the powerful truth bomb that Jesus leaves us with. Many are invited. 
but few are chosen. In other words, God's kingdom is literally for everyone, but you have to enter into God's kingdom God's way. You don't get to think, oh great, God is rearranging his entire life around me, and so whatever way I want to do it, God's just really happy about that. That's not what a king does. When you enter God's kingdom, you have to enter God's way. If you, if you want to respond to the invitation of Jesus to save you and to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you and to give you the righteousness that he earned and to give you freedom for this life and eternity in heaven, and if you want to receive the strength of God and the comfort of God and the joy of God and the, and the blessings of God, which are available to anybody, everybody's invited to this banquet. You have to come in God's way. You have to come in wearing the, the wedding garments, the righteousness of Christ, that, that are actually freely offered on your way in. You don't have to do anything. But, but that's the way that you get in. Accepting God's invitation means submitting to him as Lord and Savior and King. It doesn't just mean bringing Jesus into the parts of your life that you want and leaving him out of the parts that are inconvenient. Frankly, the watching world looks at you and thinks you're a hypocrite when you do that. They're like, you don't follow him, he follows you. And I speak that in a mirror, okay? I know that that can be just as true of my own life. The watching world wants to see if this human who claims to follow Jesus is making Jesus follow him. And so what? Why did Jesus tell this parable? Do you realize there's actually a similar parable in Luke 14? Very simple. Not as involved. Not as many characters, not as many scenes, not as many burning cities. Why did Jesus tell it this way? What was the point? What's he trying to get at with this particular parable told this way? I think he's primarily speaking to three main groups of people. Three main groups of people that Jesus is speaking to. The first group of people is those who are religious people. And you look back at the pattern of your life, and yeah, there's like a pretty good religious system that I've set up in my life. Someone looks at my life, they could find something that says Jesus or has a cross on it. Like there's a pretty good religious system uh, set up in my life, but here's, here's the invitation to those who are lacking the power of God, who, who, who maybe aren't experiencing Submission to the authority of the king as part of their life. The invitation is lay down your pride. You don't have to be the king. And maybe that's a liberating truth to hear. That you don't actually have to be in charge of your life. You don't have to be the one who fixes all the problems or prevents all the mistakes. There's freedom and grace available to those who submit to the king. When you bow to the king, you get every good thing. Submit your life completely to the king. You can say a million times, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. But are you actually following him? Are you showing up to the wedding invitation with the righteousness of Christ, completely submitted to the king, and you say, I'm going to follow the king, I'm going to do things his way, I'm going to live my life celebrating his son, or are you just trying to make him follow you? 
Lay down your pride. The second group of people that I think this particular parable is speaking to is everyone under the sound of the invitation of the king. Please hear the invitation of the king. If you have never actually entered into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, if you've never actually received the forgiveness and the salvation from from the paying the consequence of your sin for eternity, if you've never been saved from that or you don't know if you have, please hear the invitation that you can be forgiven. You can be set free. You can experience abundant blessings from the king. It's available to you. You, you can receive eternal life and a steady hope and boundless joy and a higher purpose and light and clarity in your life and unimaginable comfort and frankly unexpected unexplainable strength in the hard times and and redemption from all the things that you're ashamed of. And best of all, a relationship with the king himself. You can be forgiven. And you can receive this salvation that's being extended to you. The mercy of God, if you're hearing me today, has been extended to you. How do I receive that? I mean, honestly, it's as easy as ABC. And I don't mean this to be a silly acronym. It's just the way that the words fell on the page. And it happens to be ABC. But number one, admit that you're a sinner. You will never receive forgiveness from something you're not owning. You will be forgiven for all your sin. And have a completely clean slate as you enter in the kingdom of heaven. To say, I'm righteous. You can't do that unless you actually admit the sin that you're that you're guilty of. So number one, admit you're a sinner. The Bible's admitted all of us that's been sinners. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Are you agreeing with God's assessment of your life or not? Admit that you're a sinner. Number two, believe in Jesus. Now, that's, that's kind of a loaded term. What do I mean by that? Believe in Jesus. Believe that Jesus died in your place and bore the infinite wrath of God against your sin, and then rose again three days later to give you a new life. That like, I can't get to heaven on my own. I can't get into a right relationship with God. I can't be made right with God on my own. I can't do enough good works to fix the mistakes I've made in my life. When a cop pulls you over for speeding, you don't get to tell him, yeah, but look at all the times I wasn't speeding. He's like, no, but you still broke the law. Like now, depending on how fast you were speeding, right, uh, some of y'all are going to have to pay for it. Doing more good doesn't outweigh the bad. Somebody has to pay for it. And if it's not Jesus, it's you. But when I believe in Jesus and I say he was enough, that what he did was applied to my behalf, and I put my faith and trust in him as the only way that I even could get into heaven and be made right with God. I believe in Jesus. John chapter 3, Jesus says this, For God so loved the world, you, that he gave his only son, him, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You don't have to pay for your sin. Somebody already did. All you need to do is believe in him. So A, admit that you are a sinner B, believe in Jesus, and C, confess him as Lord. This, this, is, this is where you don't want to do this. 
This is where I don't, I'm hardwired to be proud and to want things my own way. So are you. Uh-oh. But Romans 10.9 says, if you confess the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You can experience the forgiveness of God right now. You can experience the freedom that is offered in being made right with God. You can be, you can be forgiven. You can be saved. Admit you're a sinner, believe in Jesus, and confess him as Lord. The Bible says in that moment, period, for the rest of time, your name is sealed in the book of life. You, you will experience freedom in heaven for the rest of eternity. So to those who have never received the king's offer of grace, please know that there is a God who lo- knows you entirely and still loves you endlessly. And it is extending his offer of salvation to you today. And the final group of people this parable speaks to, real briefly, is those of you who have received the invitation of the king. You have submitted your life to him. You are living for him. You are following Jesus. Good job, but keep on inviting people. Keep on inviting as many as you can, both the good and the bad, to the kingdom. To the wedding banquet of the king. Here's why. When we invite people to the kingdom, the king's banquet, first of all, we're just spreading the glory of the king. We're spreading the fame of the king. God is glorified and made known when his beautiful, bountiful blessings are made available to everybody. The more people that I bring the invitation of the king to, the more he is glorified, the more his fame is spread. So primarily, My efforts in evangelism are about making God really famous here in my generation. But secondarily, when we invite people to the king's banquet, we're actually bringing hope that the worst things that you ever done do not have to have an eternal consequence. The worst things that you ever done have already been paid for. You can experience not only forgiveness, but now hope in the present and a higher purpose and a sense of meaning in your life because your life is now connected to something so much more eternal and so much bigger than you. I am bringing hope when I bring this invitation to the king. And finally, golly, people might get saved. Right? When I bring the invitation to the king, I think sometimes I'm like nervous. Like, what are they going to think of me? Am I going to lose some friends? Fortunately, here I won't lose my job, but some places you might. Some places you might lose your life. But I promise you, a million years into eternity, you're going to be wondering, why was that such a big deal to me? Oh boy. When you're going on year 200 million in eternity, experiencing unending blessings of the king and and experiencing the glories and the wonders of the glory of God. I'm not talking about just sitting on clouds, strumming harps for all of eternity. I'm talking about the presence of God. I'm talking about, you think earth? You think there's good things on planet earth? Can you imagine when there's no limits to the goodness of God available to all? And you're going, why was I so worried about what they thought of me? My goodness, why was I so worried about my reputation? About, frankly, why was I so worried about offending people who were still working through things and dealing with things when I could have been offering them the solution? So keep inviting, keep inviting, keep inviting. 
I'll wrap this up, I promise. Religious people, get off your throne and bow to the king. There's freedom. You don't have to be in charge. To those who have yet to receive the king's invitation, today's the best day ever to begin a relationship with a God who knows you completely and loves you entirely. And to the king's servants, keep on inviting anyone you can to this generous banquet. Because when you bow to the king, you get every good thing. I just want to take a moment. I know I want to take a moment because I think this is important enough to do. Don't leave today without doing business with the king. I want to give you just about a minute of silence where you actually let the king speak to you. Let, let the, the brilliance of this parable, the story that Jesus told, don't leave here thinking it's about somebody else. Let the king do business with you right now. For some of us, it's pretty need to listen to you. For some of us, we need you to show it. I know it's easy to think that this is about somebody else or it doesn't mean what it says. And, but I don't, I don't ever want to get into the trap where I, I don't take you at your word. So God, I pray that you would speak powerfully to each one of us this morning. And I know that if you speak to us, and we let you speak, God. You, you speak with words of life. So I pray that you'd speak life into our hearts and our lives today. Amen.